anyway, we're, I'm not going to speak about fatherhood this morning. I'm gonna, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 12 this morning. But I encourage you to go and, and read what I wrote this past week. Yes, I think it's important. And dads, we all, including myself, we, we need reminders of what it means to be a father. And we get every one of those reminders from God, our Father. He's the one who teaches every man in this room what it means to be a husband and to be a father. And when we go and we learn from that example, we can be what the Lord would have us to be through the work of Christ Jesus. We are in Isaiah chapter 12 this morning. And this is an interlude of worship and of praise. This is almost like a psalm here this morning. And it shouldn't surprise you, the psalms are not unusual unto themselves. The Lord has led many other writers to write things that are just filled with worship and filled with honor to the Lord. And as we've been looking at the, the holiness of God and then the mercy of God, we now enter into a time of doxology, a time of praise for who the Lord is and what he is doing to bring salvation to his people. If you would please stand to honor the Lord this morning in Isaiah chapter 12 as I read for us. It's a short chapter, don't worry. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but it's only seven verses. All right, actually... Six, even better. All right, let's start with verse one. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. The chapter begins today with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving to the Lord. I will give thanks, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and it has turned into comfort. This is the salvation of the Lord. This is the grace and the mercy of the Lord. But this particular idea of God being angry with us because of our sins and then that anger being turned away and being turned into comfort particularly relates to a very specific doctrine or teaching in the Bible. And it's a word that we need to understand, a word that we need to be able to define, and it is the word propitiation. It's a word that is in the Bible, and we need to understand what that word means, and it specifically relates to this verse 1. So I'm going to ask you to keep your finger here in Isaiah chapter 12 and turn with me to Romans chapter 3, because I'm going to read some verses here in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. I'll go ahead and get started, then I'll let you follow along as we go. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. Let me walk us through these verses to help you understand these things better. Verse 23 begins exactly where Isaiah begins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Though you were angry with me, there was a time when the anger of the Lord rested upon Isaiah and upon the people of the nation who had not believed. But it goes on in verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified means to be declared not guilty. So for those who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, there is a moment in time where you are declared not guilty before God. If you have ever been in a courtroom when the jury comes back and they all stand and everyone's holding their breath and they declare the person not guilty and the reaction in the room is is dramatic, especially the bigger the case. And it ought to be dramatic to you that even though you know you are guilty, you are declared not guilty. Why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says it here very clearly. You are justified by his grace as a gift. Grace is something that is not deserved. The salvation that comes to us, this declaration that we are not guilty comes to us even though we don't deserve it. And it comes to us as a gift, it says. A gift is something that we don't earn. If you go out and purchase it, it's not a gift. And if someone tries to give you a gift and you try to give them money, it's an insult because this is a gift. I don't want your money. I want to show you that I care about you. That's why I'm giving you this. And all of this is true of the salvation of God to us. When it goes on, verse 25, it says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The Lord God put forth Jesus Christ to be the one that would satisfy the demands of justice. A propitiation is something that satisfies the demand of justice. And in the case of God, the only thing that could satisfy the the wrath of God towards sin or the demand of justice before God is someone who was purely innocent. But none of us are purely innocent. There is only one who was innocent, and it is Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he has put forward as a propitiation. He who would satisfy the demands of the justice of God in his own body on the cross. And he shed his blood for us. He met the demands of justice that the innocent might be declared not guilty. And it is so clear in these verses and so many other places in the Bible. It says halfway through verse 25, to be received by faith. We receive these things by believing in them. We believe in who Jesus was. It has always been this way from the Old Testament to the time of Christ to now. And you might say, well, when Jesus was here, did people still have to put their faith in him? Yes. They looked at him. They saw what he did. They heard his words and they chose to either believe those words or not believe those words. And it is exactly the same way today right now. But something that's important for looking back in the passage of Isaiah and then looking forward to this passage in Romans, even though we are talking about the same thing, the salvation of Jesus had not yet come in time during the period of Isaiah. And so Paul writes about this partway through verse 25 where he says, 
This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. Forbearance is another important word. Forbearance means to show self-control, to show restraint, to withhold, to not let loose with something because of the purposes of the one who is self-controlled. And so God overlooked sins in a certain way in the past, forbearing his judgment, holding back his judgment so that what? so that it might be poured out on Christ, so that then those who trust in him might have salvation. And so it is not that God pardoned the sins of those who lived before Jesus with no cause. It's that he was forbearing or holding back his judgment for the coming of Jesus. And so for those who believe in Jesus, he is both the just and he is both just and the justifier which means that God upholds his justice, but he is also the savior. He is both things. And this is something worth thinking about. This is something very, very important to the gospel. And it is something that causes us to rejoice, which is what the rest of this chapter is going to be about. God has always been willing to forgive. Going back to Isaiah chapter 12, always willing to forgive those who turn away from their sins and believe in the salvation of God. And in believing in the salvation of God, God shifts from being the judge to being the savior, from being he who is angry with us to him who comforts us. And this is in Christ Jesus. Every one of us, who have come to salvation in this church this morning, understand what that means. That we were weighed down at one point by the guilt and condemnation of our sins. But when we come to Christ Jesus and we confess those sins and we believe in him, we are unburdened from those sins. Those sins roll off and he becomes to us a comforter. And in him we find our refuge and our strength. And this has always been the case. People think that the Old Testament is all about how angry God is, have not read the Old Testament carefully. There has always been justice and there has always been mercy. Psalm 86, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. That's a, just a beautiful passage. Have you pled to the Lord for grace have you asked God to forgive you? When you do, you will know that he does forgive you. You will experience the unburdening of your heart before God, and you will be able to say with Isaiah in chapter 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. That is an important declaration. Can you say that this morning? That God is my salvation? That's a, that's a powerful thing. When someone asks you, what is your hope in this life? What, are you, what is your trust? What is the foundation of your life? To be able to quickly and without thought respond, God is my salvation. God is the bedrock of my life. I am not my own savior. The government is not my salvation. Some medication or therapy is not my salvation. Some diet or exercise is not my salvation. And before, those, the word salvation is not often directly connected to those things. 
But that's what's happening in so many people's lives. When all they talk about, listen, you got to hear about this, man. This, is, this has made all the difference in my life. And it's a pill, or it's a new diet, or it's a candidate, or it's themselves. If you would just believe in yourself more, you can just change yourself. And this is not salvation. But to say God is my salvation is also a statement of humility. That I cannot save myself. We get to the end of ourselves and we know we need something outside of ourselves. People live every day as if their salvation and hope for the future were in these things. But Isaiah declares, God is my salvation. And I want you to see that this is a declaration that's made with a full heart. Not that God gets me going in the morning and then I take it from there. Or that the Lord is an inspiration to me. But that he is fully my salvation. He is my complete hope. He is my full confidence. And it is dramatically important for us to understand that this is not just happy talk that we say in church. I believe that God is real. And that he acts in the world. And that when we pray, it begins in the spirit and then it works its way out into the struggles of our real life. Every one of us have great struggles that we've come in here with this morning. And I want you to understand that when you pray and you pour out your struggles to the Lord, he answers. He works in ways that you cannot see and that you cannot understand. And every person here that's walked with the Lord for very long can give testimony to what God has done in their life to answer their prayers and to shape the outward circumstances of life that were beyond your control. And this is part of what it means that God is our salvation. As it says in verse 2, I will trust and I will not be afraid. Our culture, even though we live in the richest country in the world, is plagued with anxiety, paralyzed by anxiety. There are so many people that live under great fear. I think that to help you understand what the Bible speaks so often about fear, it's important for you to translate the word anxiety that's used so much. It equals, that's a synonym for fear. You're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of other people. You're afraid of the future. You're afraid of, I don't know what, you're afraid of circumstances that you can't control. That is fear. A person that walks with the Lord is able to give their fear to the Lord and know that he is able to control the future and he does because he's sovereign and he is good. I will trust and I will not be afraid. This phrase is basically the same phrase that we see in the New Testament, which is walk by faith and do not be afraid. Trust and faith are basically the same thing as well. We're always called in this Christian life to walk by faith, that the Lord wants us to trust him. He will not tell you what tomorrow is going to hold because he wants you to trust him for tomorrow. The Lord is my strength and my song, it goes on in verse 2. A full dependence on the Lord. Every one of us go hard all day long. And every one of us has to go to sleep at night. And you know why? Because God made you that way. He didn't make you like a plant where you can just stick a lamp over top of you and just, you can just keep typing and you can keep working because you're just going to like, I'm just, this energy, this lamp's going to recharge me. It won't work. You will drink, no matter how many Red Bulls you drink, you will eventually crash. You cannot drink enough coffee to go forever. And there are some people that try that, but it won't work. Because God has made you weak. 
and he's made you to need to sleep and to reach an end of yourself every single day you reach an end of yourself. And every single day, you're going to wake up new in the morning. And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to either just go, go, go and be your own person. Or you're going to say, God, give me strength for a new day. And you're going to realize that your strength comes from the Lord. This is what Isaiah is rejoicing in here. God is my salvation. I will trust in him and I will not be afraid. The Lord is my strength. And that is not a joke. It means when you feel very weak and you feel very out of control, in a very real way, you pray and ask God, I need your strength right now. I need your strength to not lose my temper. I need your strength to not say something that I shouldn't say. I need your strength to not give in to despair. I need your strength to not fear in this time. And it becomes an aspect of prayer. And this happens day after day and year after year. And if you're struggling with this, there are wonderful people in this church that are older that have been through this cycle for years and years and years. And they've been walking with and trusting the Lord day by day by day for such a long time that they can help you in what it means to walk in this way and trust the Lord with your future. Because when you begin to walk with the Lord like this for a long time, it begins to fill your heart with joy. And the Lord becomes your song. There's something distinct about Christianity with singing. This is what we do up here is not something that just happened, like came out of the 70s or something like that. This is something that is a part of Christianity. Our joy and our hope in the Lord should overflow to the point where we actually want to sing. And this is not a performance up here. This is about creating music that we can all enter into, that we can all raise our voice and sing together, that we overflow together with joy and hope, believing in the salvation of Jesus and he says it again at the end. He has become my salvation. For this we praise the Lord. I want to read another Old Testament passage that is almost exactly the same passage from Moses. In Exodus 15, the song of Moses. I bet you didn't know Moses had a song. But he does. In Exodus chapter 15. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. What a beautiful passage. The Lord has become my salvation. Verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. A beautiful picture. The idea of a parched soul and you go down and you draw up water for your dry and weary soul from a well of salvation. Water is the most important thing in life for us. It's, it's what dries up the most quickly. We become parched more quickly than we become hungry. And we know that without water, there can be no life. Without water, there is famine. Without water, there is weakness. Without water, there is death. With joy, we draw spiritual life from our salvation. There is a passage that is so important about this, a passage that is beautiful, that you just can't read that without going, just thinking directly about it, which is John chapter 4, where Jesus is encountering a woman, and they're beside a well, beside a well of water. And this woman has no idea who Jesus is, or what his message is, or anything about him. And he starts to talk to her about water and drawing water. And she has no idea what he's talking about. You don't have anything to draw water with. How can you draw any water? And he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And then she gets really confused. And so John chapter 4, verses 10 through 15 says this. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He, has, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give will, give, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is speaking to her about living water, the idea of the soul being renewed like a cup of cold water by coming in contact with the Lord Jesus, our Savior. If we ask Jesus, he will give us living water. This is a picture. There's so many different pictures in the Bible to describe what God is doing with our soul. And this is a different way of describing what it means to come to the Lord in prayer and to ask him for relief in the struggle and the troubles of your soul. And it is as if someone is giving you a cold water to drink when you are so thirsty and you are parched. When your soul is parched, we don't go to the world to have our soul satisfied. We go to Jesus. And when we go to him, it is as if he gives us a cup of cold water for our soul and satisfies us. But something important happens. Because when we go to the world, when our soul is thirsty, we will always be thirsty again. No matter what you go to for the world, it will not satisfy you. And anybody here that has any age on them understands that. That you've tried a new car, you've tried moving, you've tried a different job, you've tried whatever, and it has not satisfied your soul and you're still searching. I tell you this morning that the only thing that will satisfy your soul is the salvation of Jesus Christ our Lord. And spending time with him, growing in him. Because what happens is he then gives you his Holy Spirit. And his spirit resides in your heart and becomes, like Jesus said, like a fountain that's within your soul. And the Lord God continues to renew your soul day by day by day. And you are glad to say that God is my salvation. Your soul does not become thirsty again. Instead, what happens is you find yourself telling other people about Jesus. I need you to know who Jesus is. He has made all the difference in my life and continues to. And I want you to know about how your soul might be quenched. That the thirsty, sad nature of what's happening in your heart might be made new. For those who draw near to the well of Jesus the salvation of God, they will be truly quenched in their soul. I ask you a question this morning. How do we draw upon this well? How do we ask? How do we, as this woman is, is struggling with this, how do I partake of this spiritual water? Well, Isaiah tells us, verse 3, will give with joy, I will draw from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Give thanks and call upon his name. When we are weak and struggling, we should go directly to Jesus in prayer. The wonderful thing, whoop, I knocked the mics off. The wonderful thing about Jesus and his 
relationship with us is that we don't have to go through a priest or some other mediator. Jesus is our intermediary between God the Father. We go directly to Jesus. And I encourage you to do the same this morning. When you know the troubles are mounting and you can feel the anger rising or whatever it is, it's time to go directly to Jesus in prayer. Because in Christ Jesus, he has now become a comforter and a near friend to us. There is a beautiful song that has been treasured by Christians ever since it was written almost 150 years ago. And I'm going to read it for you this morning because there's no way that I can summarize this better than the words of this song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise and forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find your solace there. Those are powerful words. And they have been sung by so many Christians. In every example here, Christians have taken those struggles to the Lord. And he acts in your life. He will, you will find him faithful and true when you act toward him in this way. So how do we draw from this well of salvation? We call upon his name. We go to him in prayer and pour out before him the struggle of our life. There's a shift from here on in this passage. And the shift is going from rejoicing over what is happening in the life of Isaiah and those who believe in the Lord to proclaiming these things to other people. Verse 3, the second part, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. We are to proclaim, to make known your testimony of salvation. Everyone has a testimony. A testimony is what God has done for you. It's testifying or saying something about what God has done for you. And it is right and good because it brings glory to God. The salvation that God has brought to our life is primarily for his glory. It's to glorify himself. And so when we make much of what God has done for us and we tell other people that my, what you see in my life is not related to me being a talented, witty, or good person, or being super hardworking, but it's related to the blessing of Jesus in my life. And when you give the glory to God, it turns people away from wanting to know, what's the trick about your life? And instead, they want to hear more about Jesus. And it has always been this way. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim his name because it is exalted. It was a joy. I was at the Southern Baptist Convention this past week uh, with two other members of our church, Kelvy and Karen, and it was amazing. Twelve and a half thousand people. <clears throat> That's a big business meeting. If y'all get tired of our business meetings that last like an hour and a half to two hours, try two days worth of a business meeting with twelve and a half thousand people in it. But 
it's a joyful time. It's a time of seeing cooperation amongst so many Christians. And it was always a joy to talk about our church because it was like this. People would ask me, oh, tell me about your church. And, and the longer you get into it, I'm used to being here. Like, we're here every week together. This is, this is the life that I live. This is who we are. When you start talking about this place to other people, it's not normal, apparently, what's happening here. And I am super grateful for the work of the Lord in this place. Because the longer it goes on, the more you tell the story, the more it exalts the Lord Jesus. And it's always been our prayer with this church that something would be happening in this church that gives glory to God. Something that you can't put the pieces together and say this is a work of human beings. But instead, there's something happening here that is a work of the Lord. And so it was a joy to proclaim and exalt the name of Jesus this past week by talking about what he's doing here in Redeemer Bible Church. But verse 5 says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Singing, as I've said, is an important part of our Christian life. And it was amazing singing with 12 and a half thousand other people. There were times of, of musical worship dotted all throughout the, the, the conference and the gathering. And singing songs like we've sung here this morning with 12 and a half thousand people is a little taste of heaven. It's amazing to hear that many voices ring out with worship to the Lord. And then one day in glory, it will be so many more myriads than that as we gather around the throne of Christ Jesus and sing. Get used to singing because we're going to sing forever in joy before the Lord. Sing to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Make known his works. Let this be made known in all of the earth. It goes out from there in Israel to all the earth. It's a precursor to the missionary enterprise that Jesus uh, calls us to and commands us to in his great commission to go to the ends of the earth bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and proclaiming his salvation by grace to people that have never heard. And so the, the, the crowning moment and the most important part, really, of the convention was the commissioning of 78 new missionaries. It took almost an hour for them to go through the role and people to share the, a word from their hearts as to who they were. People of every age, uh, retired couples, young couples, singles, people from every walk of life going to faraway countries, places that they know little or nothing about, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as a convention are coming behind them. We will spend over $100 million this year sustaining thousands and thousands of missionaries in the field that they might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And we must never ever forget the unreached peoples in this world. India being the most important in our day and age. The nation of India has 1.4 billion people in it. That's an incomprehensible number of people. And of that 1.4 billion people, they do not have a problem with atheism there as Europe and North America do. It's 80% Hindu, 15% Muslim, 2% Buddhist, and less than 2% Christian. There are so many millions and millions and millions of people that have never heard the name of Jesus in India. And we must never forget the call to go and to share Christ with those that do not know we must prepare those that feel called. It is, there is a role. Some people get frustrated with the International Mission Board that it requires preparation to go. But the reason why there is some preparation necessary is because you will be more effective and you will last longer. But there are other avenues within the SBC to prepare you. So this is the great cooperation of Christians together to prepare and to send missionaries. 
And so I want us to remember that even from our own church here this morning, Dan and uh, Marcy Cramsey, their daughter and son-in-law are on the field with the IMB right now. And so when I close the message this morning, I'm going to pray for them, for their, uh, that they would not be discouraged in the efforts that they are undertaking there. This is a call to every person that declares that God is their salvation, that they be an evangelist. That they go out and say something about Jesus. That you bear witness here and abroad. And that you follow the call of the Lord. It's always scary. It's always uncomfortable. It's always sacrificial to say something about Jesus. But this is what people have always been called to do. Bear witness. Tell a friend. Speak about the living water of the Lord Jesus. Sing his praises and make his salvation known even to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we declare this morning gladly that God is our salvation. We love you. We rejoice in the mercy and the grace and the gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ that we might be saved. We praise you for this. I pray, Father, that we would not hide our joy, that we would not be as those who have a light but put it under a basket that it cannot be seen, but that we would let our light shine for the sake of Christ joyfully and winsomely. I pray, Lord, that we would go out even to the ends of the earth bearing witness to Jesus Christ. I pray for those that might go from this church, Lord, as missionaries, that you would guide and direct the desires of their heart in this area. And that you would help us, Lord, to make way. Lord, help us to support those that have gone already. We pray this specifically this morning for the walkers, uh, the daughter and son-in-law of the Cramseys here in this church. I pray, Lord, that they would not be discouraged in their efforts. I pray that you would help them in their difficult language learning. And I pray, God, that you would protect them and watch over their marriage and their children. And we pray for the salvation of the lost in the country that they are in, which we cannot name this morning, because if they were known in what they are doing, that they would be expelled from the country. And Father, we pray for the 78 other missionaries that were commissioned this past week, that they would not grow weary in doing what is good. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.